Hey everyone, welcome back to the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast, the podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, James Lee and Gabby Corbett. And today we're joined by our amazing guest, the Reverend Enger Mudateke, Senior Director of Programs and Education of the General Commission on Religion and Race of the United Methodist Church. Some of you may know Enger as most recently she has served as the Director of Resourcing and Project Leader for the Journey of Hope Anti-Racism Work in Greater New Jersey, as well as the Cohort Co-Facilitator for two years for the Cross-Racial, Cross-Cultural Leadership Cohort. We're going to be diving into Enger's experiences with anti-racism work in the church, exploring the challenges and triumphs of implementing change, and discussing how we can continue to work towards creating a more just and equitable church community. Enger, thank you so much for joining us today. So thank you for having me. Absolutely. We're so excited. So your work uh, has heavily focused on anti-racism efforts in the church. How have you seen the Methodist Church evolve on this issue over time and what work still needs to be done? Oof. <laughs> oh boy. We're starting right with the <laughs> big questions. Right in, we? We're going right okay. in. <laughs> um, there was a training I went to through People's Institute for Survival and Beyond, a PSAB, and this was years ago, this was in 2016. And um, the co-facilitators were talking about how, and I thought this was a great way to look at it, how racism is the parent, but then there are cousins, right? Mm -hmm. So there's sexism, there's homophobia, there's classism, there's all of these things and ways that we as human beings use to divide one another, right? And I think in the history of our church, we have split many times and had division over a number of things. And it all boils down to difference, right? Like we split mm. over slavery. And I think not once, but like twice. Mm -hmm. um, you know, then when women wanted to be ordained, we had a whole thing about that. You know, um, God forbid if black people and people of color like came to the pulpit to preach, right? Then that's a, that's a problem. And now um, that our LGBTQ QAI siblings are wanting um, to be recognized for who they are um, and who God made them to be in their various callings. It's like everybody's clutching their pearls and we're like, oh my goodness, why do we have a problem with that? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and it all boils down to difference. You know, if we look in the early church, if we look in the book of Acts, Gentiles and Jews, you know, trying to learn how to be the church together. There's a whole host of disagreements about that. Um, and I think when we came back and I put came back together in quotation marks, right? In 1968, we came back together with zero discussion. Yeah. So wow. that wasn't just our central conferences where we had segregated uh, Black congregants and Black folks. Um, it was our EUB siblings. You know, it was all of those different, again, different um, identities and different backgrounds that we just brought back together. And we called ourselves the United Methodist Church, which um, is where G-Corps was born out of mm -hmm. as the advocacy and um, kind of the watchdog organization, the organization and, and G-Cosro as well is that organization that holds us accountable still 
for the work that we still have to do. Um, in recent years, very recent, um, we're seeing that that work still needs to be done, right? Um, and so it's, it, you know, to put it in, in our Wesleyan language, it's like, you know, we're going on to sanctification, but there's that part where, um, and y'all know because you're pastors, you know, the people in our congregations that are like, you know, well, you know, we've arrived. We don't need to like continue to repent and do our work. It's like, no, no, it's a journey. <laughs> it's not a destination. Like, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's really yeah. interesting because, uh, my previous appointment was at a local church. It was a cross cultural appointment. Uh, it mm -hmm. was a, it was a multicultural church, but still uh, about half of the congregation were Caucasian white. Um, and because it was a more multicultural church, there was that language that we expressed, Hey, um, racism is not a problem here. Uh, yeah. my experience has been that actually because of the diversity, I found our congregation was asking questions and wrestling with topics that perhaps a church that is 99%, 100% one particular race was not asking. And right. so, um, and yet I've found it quite difficult to enter into those conversations about race on a regular basis. I didn't want it to take over the conversation per se, right? Or I didn't want it to go down the wrong direction. There was a lot of anxiety over that. So um, I guess my question is, what advice would you give to other pastors in local churches who want to have these conversations, but may feel unsure or uncomfortable doing so? Yeah. The first thing I'll say, and this, this may sound trite, but um, I mean, it's, it's what has been my experience over time is to trust the work of the spirit mm -hmm. and what God is doing in you, but also what God is doing in your people. When I served in Greater New Jersey, the first appointment was to a, um, it was uh, to two rural white churches in South Jersey. And um, I, I clearly remember when my friends here in Baltimore, Washington had heard that I got appointed there. And immediately, like there were messages that you know came into my Facebook on my texts, you know, uh, blink once for yes and twice for no if you're okay, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, yep, yep. I said I get it. Um, mm. And there was a way where, and to your point, James, there was a way where I had to check my own. Um, we talk about intercultural competency work. I had to check my own biases. Um, about what it, and assumptions about what I assume I will encounter when I get to those communities, right? Right. And when um, I got there, it was a learning experience for me and for the congregation and a positive mm. one, I'll say. Mm. Thank God it was a positive experience. They are wonderful people. What I did was for the, for the first six months that I was there, I just learned who the people were and, and what communities I had stepped into. I decided to engage the Bible stop a Bible study using Eric Law's community Bible study approach, which is oh. Lectio Divina style. And I have to tell you that we didn't talk about race, except we did. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got into very deep discussions about culture, right? 
about um, differences in political and theological identity. Yeah. And so when there were discussions of race, um, which is another part of culture, we were able to have those in a way where then people's ears were open enough to where they could listen to the other person, like from that person's experience, not saying, not going in and saying, well, that's not true, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, but going in really listening and being curious about, oh, well, tell me more, you know, about that. Um, You know, what does that look like for you? You know, or I remember this, you know, and, and we shared painful stories. Um, Folks in the Bible study who, you know, had shared that they grew up being taught racism and prejudice and all those different kinds of things. Um, And really kind of us just sitting with that. Uh, And I think that's what we're scared to do in the church. It's either we're scared to sit in silence. (laughs) It's like silence is like the death now, like in a small group. It's like, let's keep the discussion going. Or it's the opposite where people like there, there's like full on conflict, right? And people blow up. Sure, sure. Um, And so my, yeah, my, my advice and counsel would be to trust the spirit and then to learn um, your folks and then to kind of suspend your own biases and assumptions about what you think you'll encounter when you get there. Yeah. Yeah. Because you might be surprised at what you find. Yeah. Right. Right. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Your, your comments on how we, you didn't talk about race, but you did. Mm-hmm. I definitely resonate with. I, I went out in my previous context. Uh, I think I had a hard time talking about it for about the first two years or so. Mm-hmm. But over time, it becomes inevitable because of, of the diversity of the congregation and also because we're human. And I found myself looking to discern how do we have these conversations mm-hmm. uh, well and sensitively and with wisdom. But I think the way you put it was perfect. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. So that kind of leads me into my next question, which is, um, you know, you talked about the work of the spirit and these conversations that you're having with um, your women's Bible study group. And for you, what is your vision of the kingdom of God? And what are your hopes for the church reflecting what that would look like. Now, this is not a board of ordained ministry interview. Right? I was going to say, I, I just had a little twitch. <laughs> Gabby, you're taking me back to boom here. But but really, like practically, what does the kingdom yeah. of God look like for you? And what are your hopes for the church in, in how that we live that out now, especially yeah. in a word full, world full of division and labels and disaffiliation and all of these, you know, really big things that we're navigating. The kingdom of God for me looks like the kingdom looks like a family table where everyone is at the table. Everyone is invited. Mm -hmm. So what, what it, you know, um, I think of um, those in my family who are of a different sexual orientation Mm-hmm. and they know they're welcome here anytime. They show up to Thanksgiving. They show up at any time, like they drop by or whatever. Um, it looks like 
divorced members of my family, members of my family that aren't married and still trying to figure it out as they raise kids, coming to the table, coming to the house. It looks like those family members and people who we don't necessarily want in our space, because <laughs> we don't know what they might say or do, <laughs> you know, having them at the table um, because something special and spirit-filled and supernatural happens at the table, right? Mm -hmm. um, so at dinner, uh, and this is special on Sunday night, my husband and the girls are at the table and he'll give one perspective of, you know, something that's happening politically or whatever we're talking about. I'll give another perspective. And then our daughters will see it completely differently. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, we'll explain that. Because we're like old-ish and we don't understand anything that you just said, right? So, 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 you know, so they're explaining and we're learning from them. And that's, that's what the kingdom looks like to me, is everyone is at the table. No one is locked out. There's not even a door to wherever you are. Everybody can come in and conversations at the table, it, they're just hard and messy uh, and filled with love and grace, uh, and filled with repentance and accountability. Uh, there's that verse in Hebrews that talks about Hebrews 10, provoking one another to love and good, good deeds. Mm -hmm. There's encouragement for that. Um, all while my grandmother's biscuits are being passed around the table, all while a fufu is being made in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Come on. That's mm -hmm. my, you know, all yes. while... You know, cassava and ngai That's those are Congolese vegetables are being are at the table. All while collard greens and cornbread are at the table, right? All of those things are there. And I think how we live that out in our church is to allow that to happen. Yeah. We are deathly afraid of open conflict, like afraid mm -hmm. of it. Yes. 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 <laughs> Sometimes I'll talk about this idea of because I see things very similarly but mm -hmm. that we're really good at the church at creating a kid's table <sighs> right like I remember growing up going to my grandmother's house wow. for Thanksgiving and we always had to be in the foyer where there was you know stone on the ground so that we wouldn't mess up the carpet and you were cast out to that table because they were afraid of what you would do or say or how you yep. would eat Right. And so that part of our work as the church is to stop relegating people to the kids table yeah, and building a bigger table so that everybody fits. Yeah, exactly. And, and all of whether they eat properly, because my grandmother is very big on <laughs> etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> I know how to set several different kinds of tables, friends. Bet you know that there was a multiple ways to set a table. Um, so next podcast episode, Gabby will give a right, class yes, yes, on yes. table manners. <laughs> It'll be excellent. Right. But that everybody, is, I love, it's such a beautiful description. And I just, I think that if we hold that up as the, the goal and what we're all working towards, I think that yeah. that's the way that we have certain conversations too, which I think is really yeah. profound. So thank you. Yeah. So, I mean, the conversation about tables and inviting people in and the relegation of tables, I just want to address the uh, disaffiliating elephant in the room that I feel like we're kind of going, <laughs> yeah. walking around right now. The, yeah. <laughs> the, the United Methodist Church is going through yep. a difficult process. We're having difficult 
conversations and conflict, right, mm-hmm. uh, over issues of inclusivity. Well, mm-hmm. conversations about human sexuality. I love anger. How you said that that's not the primary issue. Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're, you're uh, at least you say how all these issues are intersecting. These conversations yeah. are intersecting, but you see that racism has this role to play in all this. So. Where does this conversation about racism and anti-racism fall in the the conversation about sort of the splitting of tables that is happening in our denomination? So, and I don't know if you all saw it, but um, the Church's Center, this was with Lovett Wings. Mm -hmm. A study came out, I think either last week or the week before. It gave like the report about the demographics um, and the characteristics of churches and communities that were dif- that were disaffiliating, and the findings were not surprising for many of us who read them. Many of the churches are in kind of in communities that are remote. The pastors are white and male, and the churches aren't big churches. You know, if you're reflecting on the history of of the church and and to where we are now and you read it and you're like, well, that's not surprising, except this is what always happens in the context of the United States. Um, And the, the really big umbrella, I mean, there's racism, but the big umbrella really is white supremacy, right? Like, um, yeah, so, so how? How would you explain that? To, I, I agree with you. Yeah. How would you explain that to layman's terms uh, for someone who says, what What does that even mean? And how is that the big, bad, evil, right? The way I've always, so the way I've always explained it is there's a book called White Too Long by Robert Long. Mm-hmm. And he traces the legacy of white supremacy as a white, uh, as a straight white male who was born and raised in Mississippi. And how much of that was ensconced in the theology of Southern United Methodists and Southern Christians. Um, the only way that I know how to explain white supremacy, there is um, there are two sociologists, Kenneth Jones and Tima Okun. She allows anyone to to use right to educate others, and so um, there are thirteen tenets that are associated with white supremacy. And when you read them, um, and I've, I've, I've used them in a couple um, workshops I've facilitated, uh, the looks on people's faces is just shocking because um, the feedback I've gotten is I have either encountered this, if it's a Black person or person of color, they'll say, I've either encountered these, or if it's a white person, they'll say, I've encountered these and I've been taught about these. Wow. But but not in like an, an overt way, right? So right, not explicitly, but not explicitly. they learned it. Right. Yeah. Right. So and it really drives the culture of our country. So everything on that list is, is everything from perfectionism to paternalism to power hoarding <laughs> to fear of open conflict to right to comfort, which drives fear of open conflict. Because if we believe that some people have a right to comfort, like the dominant culture has a right to comfort and everybody else doesn't, then that immediately sets up a binary that you can't get out of. Like you're locked in it unless you do it differently. There, there, yeah, there's a bunch of terms on there and they have antidotes underneath 
to begin to dismantle in your own relationships and organizations or wherever you find yourself. Hmm. And how have you seen white supremacy and racism impact the discussions over LGBTQ plus inclusion? We had quite a few, and I, I mean, I can't speak to it jurisdictionally um, specifically um, because there were some quite painful things that happened in, at jurisdictional conferences last fall. Yeah. But it played out on a grand scale there. Yeah. It plays out on our annual conference floors where the minute that you bring up, it, does, it doesn't even have to be any kind of deep discussion. You're asking a question mm-hmm. about difference or um, someone or a group that's different from the dominant culture. You can almost feel the spirit in the room shift and then people go to their corners. We go into two camps and in, in our culture too, in this country, we're also very binary. So it's either or. Mm-hmm. And we haven't yet understood in many of our institutions and but specifically the UMC, we haven't learned how to hold multiple things in our mind at the same time. That God is a God of both and, not either or. When Cain kills his brother Abel and God marks him, that no one can touch him, but it's also a mark of guilt. That's a mark of guilt and grace, Mm -hmm. which is actually what baptism is. It's a mark of guilt and oh, grace. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So when we think about the God that we serve, a God who made um, all of us, many different ethnicities and nations, that God is a God of both and. And here we are many times in difficult conversations because we're afraid of the outcome, because we're afraid of what will happen. We wind up playing God with a little G on the front end. And we start going into our camps. Oof. So you talk a lot, and I've heard you talk a lot about um, history and engaging and understanding history. So as we sort of seek to do this work well in the church, understanding all of these things, right? That God is not a God of either or, that we are only going to continue to suffocate the church and the kingdom if we try and play out these camps, how can the church better acknowledge and address our own history of racism and exclusion? How, how can we do that in a way that allows us to have open conflict in a way that yeah. allows us to be able to sort of push back against uh, those 13 tenets of white supremacy? You know, how do we help our local congregations and the church as a whole, given you know, jurisdictional conference, annual conference, Mm -hmm. all of these things. How could, how do you see us doing that better? The past six or seven years in ministry, both in the local church and when I go to annual conference, they act as though the church has never been here before. Now, those of us who are living in this, like in this time, yeah, we haven't been here before, right? But, you know, our four parents had been there. They were there. And so I really think, There's that saying that, like, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. And so I think learning from history, like seeing that pattern in our church of how we engage difference, right? And it's all the ones that I named, but then we haven't even taught, I mean, 
there's a there's a whole the whole pan uh pan methodism mm -hmm. like our ame ame z siblings cme you know um and how that came to be right what it what it is now right um because of racism yep like a collective repentance is required <laughs> well exactly yeah. yeah exactly and i think to your point james like the collective repentance it's also recognizing and admitting that the practice, the theology of repentance and also the practice of repentance as a spiritual discipline has been virtually erased. Yes. Mm. Yes. Um, you know, in the life of the church. And when you have that working with the fact that we won't even admit that we're good at, that we're bad at, 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 at difference, recognizing difference and then embracing and accepting difference then yeah, it, I mean, it sets us up to be on the train to in the either or camp. Yeah. Like you're either here or here. It's it's the collective repentance and then it's the learning again. Yeah. Like unlearning and then like learning again. Yeah. Right. Um uh that that verse uh in Matthew eleven where it says, like come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And he's talking to the disciples. Um that word disciple in the Greek, it, you're a student. Mm -hmm. Like that's what yeah. you are. You are a student. Yeah. And um, it, I've heard it, it referred to as apprentice. Yes. Almost yes. A better, mm -hmm. um, translation. Yeah. Yeah. And my, you know, my family, it cracks me up. They, <laughs> they just shake their head every time because we're just theologically lazy and every other kind of lazy in our country. Wow. But really, Wow. We are theologically and intellectually lazy. We expect for God to come to us, for the spirit to come to us, you know, when in much of the world, the way that they experience God is not that way. It's not that way. Um, you know, any kind of relationships you want to have with people, will you come to me? <laughs> you know, God forbid if we have to cross an aisle to go and, and learn from someone else. Um, which is really the core of, of intercultural competency, which is it, one of the part of our threefold models at G-Core, but that whole, um, you know, embracing that you are a lifelong learner. Like as a disciple of Jesus, yes. you, it is all about like learning again and again and again. We have to abolish the field of dreams model of church, oh, right? God. We you build it, they will come. Stop. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I choke on my coffee there. No, no, it, it, it there, there's a time and place for that illustration, but I think that now it's overused, and ninety percent of the time is actually inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's um, how people think about what we do, and it's it's mm -hmm. that has that belief set and the consumer culture that we live in has become so ingrained in how we do church that we just yeah have all of these expectations about how it should be. And we really need to spend some time viewing yeah. those and unlearning and relearning. Yeah. And I think that's why racism is such a, it's such a difficult conversation to have because it is not clean. It is not take this course and now mm -hmm. you're not racist. It's <laughs> not, you know, take this pill and you'll be cured of your racism. It's a very messy, yeah. unclear, yeah. Uh, process. And uh, I don't know if this is a good segue, but 
you have I'm worked sure on the <laughs> yeah uh, you 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 have worked on the Journey of Hope initiative. Oh, it is here in Greater New Jersey, <laughs> and uh, this was the initiative to end the sin of racism. Mm -hmm. And we just want to hear uh, more about you, the work that you have done uh, while you were here in Greater New Jersey on the Journey of Hope and the impact that it has had. Yeah. Um, so when I came on staff with G&J um, and as Journey of Hope champion, um, the first thing I said to myself was, um, you're not coming in to solve anything. <laughs> like, because racism has been here uh, for four to 500 years. And it's a pretty young concept. It started in the 1400s with a scientist named Johann Blumenbach. Um, but culture is older than racism, than race. Mm. Culture is older than race. And uh, race is the child of racism, right? Mm. It's not the other way around. Mm. So I knew, I said, okay, um, then what is going to be possible? So for about three months, I just... Um, had conversations with um, some staff, had conversations with the bishop just to learn about, you know, what what is it that you're envisioning as far as Journey of Hope? I read the resolution that, of course, was voted in on annual conference floor. Yeah. It's like between asking God, what am I supposed to do? And between that coach, between those conversations with folks, what was revealed to me, what came to me was, Inger, in this season, you are supposed to be an educator and a question whisperer. Mm -hmm. And because I'm an Enneagram 8, I'm like, well, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Gabby. Because I was like, either you're going to give it to me to completely repair or you want me to burn it down? Yeah. Like, which yes. one is yes. it? Yes, a hundred percent. Correct. Yes. This is how we function. Yes. I love it. So, like, with that vision, I carved out, along with the Journey of Hope team and some other folks, I kind of put together, um, there's like a series of, of stories about Journey of Hope that were in... Um, the conference newspaper, I think in that first year. And my goal with that was really to have people learn more about what the journey of hope is, right? Um, and I think in, in so much in this work, we just want people to get to not being anti-racist. I mean, to not being racist, like just, just become anti-racist quickly because we don't have time. It's like, well, actually they do have time. <laughs> Um, because it didn't take us 30 minutes to get here. It took us wow. 400 to 500 years to get here. So I was also aware of the fact that if I move too quickly with things, you can also do trauma to people. Yeah. Yes. You can re-traumatize wow. BIPOC folks and you can traumatize white people mm. to the point to where some may not want to ever step foot in a church or meet the Jesus you know again. Yeah. Right. Wow. So through the, through that series of stories, through a conversation with Trey Wentz, who also had the Bridges Project. Yes. And we saw some intersections there. And I'm like, that may be 
the best way because that is that's a way of engagement like right out of the gate, right? The consultative work, I think, with fearless dialogues, it was it so it was a rocky start. But I think the other side of that is, um, which is another thing I noticed, so much of what we do in organizations and anti-racism work is we want to do it from the bottom up. Mm, yeah. When really it's not from the bottom up or the top down, it's a collaborative, it's a collaborative experience, meaning that structurally and institutionally processes and ways of doing things, ways of engaging are going to have to change along with that training. Wow. So that as people learn, Mm. they're interfacing with systems and processes and ways of doing things that actually reinforce what they're learning. Right. If somebody learns something and then they bump up against, uh, you know, like, oh, well, well, then then what it teaches the person is that, well, what I learned then was useless because the other person um, or that system or um, the authority that's that is uh, there to steward those systems is not responding to my learning, then it becomes problematic. I definitely think when when I left to start my work with G Corps, um, a lot of the feedback that I was getting from pastors, and these these are people who either had just started their journey of uh, toward anti racism, um, or were already on the journey. Um, they expressed to me that they learned something new, which is all I. That's all I. You know, that was that was my job. Okay. Yep. Yep. Um, then, you know, in terms of what God revealed to me, then I did the work that I was, was sent there to do, but I definitely in no way when I started was like, yeah, I'm going to solve this. I'm like, no, <laughs> like, I'll start it. And then, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'm actually was smiling a little bit because I know Gabby, your church has gone through the bridges, yeah. right? What is your experience? Yeah, been, Gabby? I, we it's been really profound. Um, I think that, you know, I've done fear. I did the fearless dialogues training first too. Mm-hmm. Same, and then, same. yeah, it was, it was which incredible. Was, yeah. yeah, really an awesome and meaningful and hard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hard, but it was really profound. Um, and now that my congregation's doing bridges, it's been single-handedly the best program that my congregation has been a part of. Like it is really, it's, it's been life-changing for them. Uh, Oh, that's amazing. Which is huge because, you know, I serve a congregation right now um, that in the last year we've had two extremely public racist incidents. Uh, Yeah. We are a very insulated white community that is desperately trying to hold on to that whiteness whether or not anybody actually wants to admit what that is. And so our congregation is really wrestling with, you know, how do we navigate through that, right? How do we reach out to folks who live in this community who have these belief sets, but also invite them to see the kingdom of God in a new way. Yeah. Um, And so it's been, it's, the bridges. I talk, tell everybody. I'm like, if you can be part of the bridges program, you do it yeah. because it's changed everything for us. And again, it, it's it is a continued reminder that not everything happens overnight. 
Yeah, exactly. I love the way that you said that, you know, this, this racism problem, like this has been part of our culture now for over 400 years and we're not going to wake up one day and just Mm -mm. be done with it. Yeah. We're not going to end the sin of racism tomorrow. No. Mm -mm. Yeah. But we can learn something new. Yeah. We can learn something and new. unlearn yeah. something <laughs> old. And un- yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, Amen. Wow. Thank you. Well, Anger, was there any other questions that we should have asked you <laughs> that you had a, an amazing answer to, but we did not ask? No, I think I think one thing I did want to add is in terms of when we talk about learning and, and continuing to learn, in terms of continuing education around. Uh, anti-racism and intercultural competency. G Corps, our our latest series that we put out um, was the What Is series. Um, and it's a series of one pagers. Yeah. You can download those. Uh, folks can use them um, in small group. You can use them individually in terms of for your own devotional life. Um, but it really is. I mean, it it, it gives a definition of the word. Um, but the greatest feedback we've gotten is the biblical and theological foundation for those words, yeah. that it has really transformed the way people have thought about um, that word and about anti-racism work. Yeah. 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 I love the one, um, what is gaslighting was oh, one that gosh. was, I, I was able to use that in, um, in an informative conversation, I, I believe gaslighting is the word of the year. The word of the year, yeah. Uh, for yeah. 2023, correct? And so, yeah, I've been following the What Is series. It was very helpful. I love that it's one sheet, yeah. and but it just f- helps inform us. And yeah, it's it's a great conversation launcher. Yeah. So I think that's a resource that every person should at least read through, tap into, and see how it could help in your life, in your faith, in your yeah. congregation. I think it's great. Yeah. That's a good plug. Thank you, Anchor. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Well, uh, we have one last question that we ask all of our guests <laughs> here on the Uncovered Dish podcast. Gabby, you want to ask it or you should I ask it? it? I always you ask. Can ask it. All right. I, yeah, I think I you did it last time, so I could. Yeah. Do, I'll do it this time. So, uh, Anger, we are the Uncovered Dish podcast because uh, we love uncovered. We love uh, covered dish dinners. We're Methodists. We love food. Mm-hmm. So, here's the last question we ask all of our guests: If you had to eat one dish. For the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, no variations, what would that one dish be? Mm. And this is hard because I'm a foodie, so (laughs) this is hard. I think it would be cassava leaves with fufu. Cassava leaves with fufu. Uh Yep. Yeah. All right. For those of you, for the folks who may not know what that is, can you like kind of describe it or is it just you have... It's um it's a Congolese vegetable, um, and the cassava leaves are pounded down. They're cooked in palm oil. Um, there's a bunch of other things that are put in there. Um, but it, I mean, basically, think of it as a fine savory spinach. Ooh. Yeah. Sounds yeah. Sounds delicious. Cassava leaves with fufu. Mm-hmm. All right. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Amen. And that is what we will have when anger one day will meet in person and have a meal over the table. Yes. Amen. And that's how we just wrap it all together. I'm really good at this. Just kind of bring everything full circle, ending the conversation. 
Let's have cassava leaves with fufu over the table. Amen. <laughs> Let us pray. No, and <laughs> the right, service right, exactly. there. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, Anger, thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast. This was an amazing conversation. Uh, where can people reach you if they want to reach out to you, have questions, they want to get to know what you're doing at G Core? How can people reach you? Oh, um, you can reach me uh, at gcore.org, G C O R R.org. And if you go to our staff page, that has all of my contact information there. Awesome. All right. Well, Anger, again, thank you so much for this uh, very informative and helpful conversation. We're praying for you uh, in your ministry at the general level. And we hope to uh, engage in conversation again soon. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care, Anger. Bye.